Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. After the apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 3, episode 20. Legacy. Move them out of that goddamn trap, the king shouted angrily at Harlan. Up the left, get around that strong point. His men had run straight into an ambush on their first approach, instead of the cakewalk they had assumed. The king was angry. This fight wasn't going to be the pushover he had expected. He still had the guns and the numbers, but didn't like the feeling that he was being made a fool of. Not outfought, but outthought. He'd spent a lifetime fighting bastards who believed they were better than him, smarter than him, and it struck him at some raw core to have that happen here on this day, when he had been so sure of a quick and complete victory. How many of them did you say there were, Peckerwood? The king asked Harlan sharply. No more than a couple dozen fighting men, boss, I swear. Harlan assured him. You are wrong, horse, the king said in disgust. Come on, get them moving. Keep shifting left huh, till we find an opening. And with that, the army was on the move. The men pulled out of the first gap and jogged left along the back fence. The burning, acrid smoke of gunfire clung around them, stinging their eyes as they moved. There was a gust of wind that pushed it away, and the men felt the air pressure drop as black storm clouds mounded high in the southwestern sky. The storm gust pushed the attackers towards the defenders, like ships being driven into the rocky surf. Back at the front of the D.C., the man standing in the back of the second pickup could see what was happening. It became obvious when the truck beside him drove into the ditch with a bullet hole in the windshield and the driver slumped over the steering wheel. He knew it was time to bail out and find cover. Mags calmly worked the rifle bolt to eject the smoking spent cartridge and chambered another round while keeping the fleeing man in her sights. This NC Star tactical scope is pretty good, she thought. Not as good as army issue, but still must have cost some deer hunter more than a thousand bucks. She breathed evenly and tracked as the last pickup truck man dove into the ditch beside the road. Come on, rabbit. She intoned under a breath, let's see you. As if on cue, the man's rifle came up into view and his head cautiously behind it, eyes searching for a target. Mags exhaled, found the respiratory pause, and squeezed the trigger. 
The thirty caliber round jerked the man's head back and he slumped out of sight. Mags panned left to survey what remained of the camouflage troops in the barricades. They weren't firing anymore. One by one, they dropped their weapons and raised their hands in submission. Mags turned to Michael and gave instructions. Mike, send three people to take those attackers into custody. Zip tie their hands behind them and have the support team secure them in the warehouse. Don't worry about the weapons for now. Just get everyone who can walk out of the line of fire and tucked away until this is resolved. Only leave one soldier with them, though. We can't take more able-bodied defenders off the line. The walkie-talkie crackled with Zane's voice. They're moving left, all of them. And there's a storm coming, so I'm going to lose drone coverage. Mags acknowledged Zane and digested the new information. Get everyone else to the back of the line of defense as fast as you can. Shift in any reserves we have to keep in front of the king's flanking motion. She stared Michael in the eyes. I'll stay here with the skeleton crew. I'll call if I need you. You are in charge back there. Do what you think needs to be done. As the action slowed, she began to feel her injuries. She couldn't keep going like this. Her head was feeling foggy. Her hands were beginning to shake. Michael would have to handle the final action. It was in his hands now. And God's. The old man and Bill the dog burrowed themselves into the tall grass under a wild cherry tree at the back edge of the D.C. There was a slight depression in the ground, and they were well hidden. Probably end up covered with ticks, poison ivy, and chiggers, he said to the dog. Bill looked at him and did not respond. Bill was in the heightened awareness of battle mode, ready for anything. The old man considered the dog's intense stare and continued, but we're probably more likely to end up dead, so we won't have to worry about it. He scratched behind Bill's ears affectionately and leaned sideways to touch his forehead to the big dog's forehead. They stayed like that for a long moment in communion. Finally, the old man opened his eyes and whispered, Good dog. The old man readied his crossbow and they settled in to wait. The king's army would have to come through here eventually if they kept sliding along the defenses. And when that happened, the old man would cut off the head of the snake, because that was how you dealt with kings and their armies. Remove the head, and the army would lose its leadership, its cohesion, and its purpose. It would dissolve. That was the key weakness of kings, dictators, and warlords. Always had been. This kind of army did not fight for dead people. Here was something the old man could do to make a difference, to end the battle, if not the war. He knew he would probably die here today. But what did he really have to live for anymore? He'd found Paul, 
Was he needed anymore? No, if he was honest. He had no purpose, really. It was time to stop running. Time to add his bones to that great pile. To add to the fine human legacy of regicide. One more dead man from one more wasteful war. Just like Paul had said, it was a never-ending cycle of human madness. At least, maybe, the old man could give himself a hero's death, make it all worth something. Finally, make a difference in his life here at the end. A good end, he thought calmly. The old man looked up as a brusque wind rattled the cherry tree and the grass around them. The leaves of the cherry flipped to show their silvered undersides, signaling a change in the weather. A dark fatness had overtaken the clouds, and thunder rumbled over the horizon. The temperature dropped, and a greasy raindrop smacked him on his upturned cheek. There was a storm coming almost upon them. That was fine. He didn't mind the rain. It would add to his cover as he waited to kill the king. How many great battles in history had been determined by bad weather, and it usually favored the defenders. Hadn't the French knights at Agincourt discovered that as they tried to wade through the mud against a rain of arrows from the English longbows? Yeah, let it rain, the old man thought. He inhaled deeply as the rain began to pummel the dried dirt around them. He loved that smell, the fresh smell of soil and dust being thrown into the air and consumed by the rain, the manifestation of age-old interactions between earth, wind, and water. That smell, born from the brief chaos as the forces of nature battled for dominance, Eventually, the rain would subsume the soil smells, and all would be wetness and wet smells. But in this moment, at the beginning of the storm, he could inhale and be part of the physically changing world outside himself, like men had done forever. It was part of nature's dance." No difference from the experience of those first hominids watching the storms roil across the African plain a couple million years ago. The old man remembered an experience from when he first started trail running. He stopped at Crawford Notch State Park in New Hampshire on a warm, late summer afternoon. He couldn't remember why he was in the area, but did remember the mischievous joy of pulling off the highway between appointments to run the rugged trails in the heart of the White Mountains. It was hot as he headed into the deep green forest. He was worried he might not have enough water in the heat, worried that he might have overstepped, might have overestimated his ability 
unprepared people died from exposure in these mountains in all seasons. After a couple miles, the trail turned to follow a rough stream bed up the mountain. His legs burned and he struggled, not yet the ultra-runner he would become. He slowed to a fast hike, pulling himself through the jagged granite and exposed tangled roots of the stream bed up the side of the mountain, with his hands gripping the pitch-smelling young cedars that leaned in from the sides of the trail. It was hard work. He was soaked with sweat, short of water, and wondering if maybe he had bitten off more than he could chew. Eventually, the trail left the stream bed and headed along a ridge up Mount Jackson, but he looked at his watch and knew he needed to turn around. In those days, he had places to be, appointments, obligations, responsibilities. But the part of this memory that tied him back to the wet dust of this hole under a wild cherry tree in the distribution center was the rain and that smell. He remembered running down the mountain to his rental car. He was exhausted. He struggled to lift his feet to avoid catching a root and falling face first on the rough, rocky trail. And then he felt the barometric pressure drop. The forest darkened. There was a great rattle of thunder, and a deluge broke from the sky through the tree canopy. And as he ran down the mountain, soaked by the summer downpour, he remembered that smell, the smell of hot soil mixing with the rain. He remembered how it uplifted his soul and how he was filled with joy. He was no longer running. He was flying, pelted by the rain, buoyed by the refreshing force of nature, filled with the mystical power of the storm and the strength of the surrounding granite mountains. The old man smiled at the memory. He had forgotten that moment of joy, but the smell of the rain had brought it back vividly. It's funny how smells can transport the mind, he thought, as the first men of the king's army appeared around the corner of the metal building. He squeezed himself lower, out of sight. He needed to let the vanguard pass and find the king. The old man had never seen the king in person, but was confident he'd know him when he saw him. That kind of authoritarian evil always stood out in the crowd. The king's soldiers streamed by, dirty men with rough beards, hunched as low as they could get, as if making themselves small would keep the rain off their backs. Grimly moving forward, most of them wore jeans and work shirts. There were a handful of leather jackets. The rain beat down and drained off the bills of their baseball caps. Their boots ground the grass and slipped in the mud from the rain. But on they came. They turned the corner of the building in front of where the old man and Bill hid and trudged by. Forty to fifty of them now knelt or stood clustered in the muddy grass, waiting for instructions, huddled against the rain, weapons ready, grim, wet. 
but not yet beaten. Two men came into the old man's view through the grass. These two approached the group from behind. One the old man recognized from the D.C. as Harlan, the rat-faced man. The other was a compact, hard-looking man in a black trench coat, hatless. The hard man addressed the assembled. Everything you men need is over there. We just need to man up and take it. These people are soft. There's only a handful of them. One more push from this side and they'll collapse. Go take what's rightfully yours. The men responded with a cheer that was more of an angry, growling roar. They turned and began to advance. Harlan and the king moved over closer to the cherry tree to get a better viewing angle on the attack. The old man silently confirmed that his crossbow was armed and cocked. He took a deep breath, closed his eyes, and gathered his strength. He could feel the alertness, the tenseness of Bill beside him. Blibe, he whispered to the dog. A moment measured by heartbeats passed. The old man got to his feet as quickly as he could manage in the wet grass, his body stiff from inactivity. He sighted the bolt on the king's torso where he knew the heart should be and said out loud, Seek Semper Tyrannus! The bolt flew. The king reacted to the source of the words and turned quickly, but not quickly enough as the bolt passed through his back and poked out of his chest at an angle. Harlan grabbed his pistol from its holster. The king spun onto the ground. There was a look of surprise mixed with anger on his face. Harlan fired the pistol. The old man fell backwards into the beaten grass and mud. Harlan turned to kneel by the king's side. Fear and apprehension contorted his racked face. Meanwhile, the king's men advanced, but soon they found the broad parking lot blocked by shipping containers that funneled them into a smaller channel. They had learned from the earlier fight to approach these narrow places cautiously. Sure enough, as they got closer to the end, gunshots rang out from the rooftops and from the concealed positions. Men began to fall, wounded or dead. Their progress slowed, and they became bogged down, hugging the wet ground and trying to return fire. First one, then another. And finally, any of them who could were retreating, running low and fast through the muddy grass, back towards the king. Harlan leaned over the king and turned him on his side, he had passed out, but had now regained consciousness. The king was alive and alert and struggling to speak. What's going on? You're shot, boss, was all Harlan could say. But I killed a guy. At this point, muddy, dispirited men began to straggle in, gathering around their fallen leader. What happened? Harlan asked one of the men. It was another trap, the man said. He sounded tired and fed up. We couldn't get through. Charlie and some others are dead. 
The king struggled to sit up, wincing. Take it easy, boss, Harlan said. I'll handle it. The king looked at Harlan and at the gathering men. Give me your gun, he said coldly. Harlan smiled nervously, rainwater dripping off his chin. Sure, boss, he said. He took the pistol out of its holster and placed it in the king's hand. Help me up, the king said. Harlan and two of the men managed to lift the king upright as he struggled to breathe. They moved him cautiously to the nearby perimeter fence and leaned him against it. The rain was slowing now. Occasional gunshots sounded as the men continued to retreat through the gap. The king looked at the bolt sticking out of his chest, then at the ground as if lost in thought. Blood mixed with rain and dribbled off his chin onto his coat. He was struggling to breathe, but was not about to let go. Not yet. He raised his head slowly and looked at Harlan. You screwed us over, hoss. In a moment that no one saw, the king pushed the pistol under his coat against Harlan's chest. A muffled gunshot exploded. There was a look of shock on Harlan's face as he stepped back and looked with a mixture of disbelief and horror at the smoking wound. He slid slowly down the fence, clutching his chest, taking his final breath, and came to rest slumped in the muddy grass. Let's get out of this shit show, the king said, spitting blood. With that, the king's army, or more accurately, the bloodied remnants of the king's army, carried their wounded leader off the field of battle. The old man was dreaming, not conscious, not unconscious, but somewhere in between. The long auburn hair of his young wife smelled like strawberries. It hung down and cascaded over his face and shoulders as they made love in the cramped double bed of their first apartment. She was so young and beautiful. He was just an intern then, but knew that bigger things were on the way. They were happy. He was content. All the potential of the world stretched out in front of him as a flower-strewn path. Suddenly, the warm dream image jolted into a jagged red blur. He flickered open a sticky eye. The sky was moving. No, he was being dragged. There were... Angels? Was he being dragged by angels? No. It was the dog. Bill was dragging him. The old man couldn't speak. But if he could, he would have told the dog to stop, to leave him in peace. He was ready to go. The moving sky slid by with each of the big dog's poles. The rain had stopped. He could see 
patches of blue. The storm had passed. The old man was content to die here in the wet Tennessee grass with his friend Bill the dog as his final attendant. The sun would rise tomorrow on a bright new day, he mused. He had made a difference. He had stopped the king. He had found Paul. Paul was on his own path now and would be his own force for good in this dead world. Janet and the rest would carry on in their own way to make a difference and to rebuild. He had given them a chance. It was his final gift to them. His legacy. The old man saw birds dart through his field of vision. But there was something else. Something that shouldn't be there. There was a chopping noise and... Three more angels were flying across the eastern horizon. Not angels. Helicopters. That was strange. He hadn't seen an aircraft in months. But too late to worry about that now. Probably... Another hallucination as the blood drained from his head and his old brain searched for reasons. It didn't matter. He breathed in the wet haze smell of grass and the dark, earthy smell of mud. His vision was fading again. It was okay. He was ready. The old man closed his eye and smiled. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Hello, my survivor friends. Here we are at the end of season three. And I don't know about you, but I am quite in awe of what we've accomplished here together. You, me, my editors and friends all combined to keep the apocalypse narrative going for 60 episodes and keep it mildly interesting, maybe even compelling. It's been a real joy for me to watch the universe develop and live with these characters and to and to live in this narrative. And this episode did not exit the creative birth canal peacefully. It took some long thinking to get the ending the way I thought was acceptable to the themes of the show and the characters and to give you the kind of quality narrative and ending that you deserve. I needed two epidurals and an emergency episiotomy to get this one out. Ha! Just made my female listeners flinch, which, as we will talk about in a bit, I can't afford to do because only 25% of my listening demographic are female to begin with. But we got the episode written, produced, and out into the ether, and here we are. I'll go a bit longer today because I have a few things, a few topics to cover, so get comfortable, lean back in the rocking chair, take a sip of moonshine from the jar, and bear with me. First topic, statistics, demographics, and the great apocalypse sausage party. We are still running around 20,000 plus downloads a month, and we're at about 350,000 total since we started. We have 360 new members, or total members, not new members, in our Facebook group as of this morning. And Facebook, as it turns out, provides me data on the members. And I thought you might be interested, so I will share that with you. Demographic-wise, it's an older crowd. It skews towards the 35, even 45-plus, and it's 75% male. So welcome to the Sausage Party. I'm going to try to be more in- inclusive. I'm going to try harder, starting right now, starting today. Second topic, Dire Straits. One follow-up from the last episode where I was talking about the movie Local Hero, I forgot to mention that the soundtrack is by Mark Knopfler of Dire Straits, and it's really good. In fact, one of my top five favorite albums. Do we say albums? What do we say? Do we say collections? Aggregations? And that, my friends, right there is why we win the Over 40 Demographic. For anyone listening, regardless of how many times you have ridden this planet around the sun, go acquire the Dire Straits musical agglomeration, referred to as Live Alchemy. And you can thank me later. Find a quiet place, put on some noise-canceling headphones, and let yourself be transformed by that music. And wait for it, the last track on side two of the CD, or side four of the album, is the theme from Local Hero. But um. Next topic, Days Gone By. I listened through season one of the show last week as I was out doing my workouts. And for those of you who are veterans of my old Run Run Live podcast, yeah, I'm getting my mileage back up. I feel pretty good. Got a marathon in the fall. Anyhow, it was the first time for me to actually go back and listen to a full season contiguously 
like a new listener would. Because my normal process is to write and edit the episodes. Then I listen through and I edit Robert's production of the work. And then I produce it all into the show. And then I release it. And finally, I listen to them through my podcast app when they are released, just to make sure everything came through okay. And at that point, I've spent eight to ten hours with the episode. And I've listened to it like five times. So I don't go back and listen to them again. And this was a new experience for me, listening through a whole season, season one, one episode after another, with my after-show comments, which kick in around episode six. And, and you know, all in all, it hangs together. It's pretty good. I found the interesting parts for me was how Robert's reads change and adapt over the seasons. The first few episodes were very standard audiobook rhythm and tone. But then as we start to get comfortable with the story and the characters, the reads become much more vibrant. And I also found some super cringeworthy stuff that I'm going to have to go back and edit out. But it is kind of fun to live the temporal disconnection of listening to eight months of work from two years ago in two or three days. As I listen to the comments, the after-show comments... I also realized the things that have not worked out the way I intended, where I had to change gears like I had originally planned to convert each season into a book, and did indeed start that process with season one, but ran into a wall, basically the mismatch between my available time and the effort required. I'll still get there, maybe this summer. Anyhow, it was a useful experience, binging through the history like a new listener would. And I plan to do the same, work my way through seasons two and three, as the editors and I ideate four and five. And that's still the plan, my friends. Five seasons, 20 episodes each. Next topic. I read another book. I've been busy, but I did manage to work through another post-apocalyptic book. It's a novel called Bloom by Will McCarthy from 1998. And the story starts with humanity being banished to the outer reaches of the solar system by an all-consuming techno-fungus that has turned all of the inner planets into mushroom mush. And it's a good read. It's one of those books written by an actual scientist, so the details hang together very well. Um, I saw the end coming, but I still give it a solid B. Worth a summer read while you're lying in the hammock, trying to avoid your husband. See, see what I did there? Inclusive. Next topic. The first of The Last of Us. I did watch that first episode of The Last of Us because they give you one free episode. And I thought it was really good. I might pay to watch the rest of these, but I'm not signing up for HBO just for that. While I was watching this episode just for fun, because it was recently in my mind, I counted off the zombie tropes that we had talked about a couple episodes ago. Uh, Maybe I should print up a bingo card so you can all have that, and you can be insufferable when you're watching TV with your husband. See? Inclusive. Let's look at the score. You have to shoot the head. Check. They don't want to eat you, they just want to infect you. Check. Old people zombies? Check. Child zombies? Eh, kinda. They mercy kill an infected little girl in the first episode, so that's kind of a check. The dangerous quest for the cure, check. The zombie siege, check. 
and the siege is in a fortified Boston no yet, so for a total score of 5 out of 10. And I will give them extra points for running around in the subway tunnels in Boston. Those are the oldest subway tunnels in North America, and they are super cruddy and grungy, so very appropriate, very apocalyptic. I give them points for killing off a main character in the first episode. Very Walking Dead. Congrats on that. And it looks like a great series, but I will wait until it's more easily accessible. The current state of cable TV and streaming in the United States is broken. You pay 200 bucks a month for access and then another 15 bucks a month for every channel, and I just don't get it. Who can afford to spend that much money on subscriptions? But I guess it doesn't matter, because soon all the content will be generated by the artificial intelligence specifically for you, and will become like the Eloy from H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, fed, entertained, pampered, and ultimately eaten by the Morlocks of AI. Okay, my friends, final topic. Where do we go from here? I will continue to develop, write, and produce the last two seasons on schedule. I'll probably start up again, as is my habit, in a couple months, depending on my summer schedule. To fill in the dead air, I will release some other things. I've got some things in the hopper, some stories from other people, some maybe some interviews, and in the meantime, thank you for joining us on this journey. No, really, thank you. Thank you for your attention. Share this show with your friends and social networks. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And as always, keep surviving. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.